You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the show that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P.weebly.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today on the show, a quick history lesson about the evolution and origin stories of karaoke, aka Norevan, and why it is such a special unique experience, especially in Asia, what they do with karaoke that just makes it so next level, and I would argue a million times better than the USA version of karaoke. So we will get into that, as well as discuss the potential futures for karaoke, especially given the COVID era. Does it have a future, and why should it? I will argue why it should, and how that can happen. We have some quick headlines to update you about, from the PCA winners to a few more Taemin album Easter eggs that I just noticed or just forgot to mention on the last Taemin update because it was so jam-packed, and a ton more to say so. Without further ado, let's get to some quick headlines before the main theme of today's show. The song Kick It from NCT 127, one of my personal favorite songs of 2020, is coming to Just Dance 2021. Young K from Day 6 is the newest DJ of the show called Kiss the Radio, which has actually been a staple of KBS FM radio since 2004, and he will be taking over starting November 23rd. BTS is set to be a part of Disney's latest sing-along special. It's just an hour-long show. It'll be November 30th on ABC at 8, 7 central if you are into the Disney sing-alongs. They're having another holiday-themed one. And so now the only Christmas song ever is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Very excited just for BTS, frankly, for that. Speaking of BTS, last night they just won four PCAs, and now they just doubled the amount of People's Choice Awards they've won throughout their career. So now they have eight total. Last night they won for Group of 2020, Best Song of 2020, Best Album of 2020, and Best Music Video of 2020. I really like the acceptance speech they gave. It's classic BTS, and so I'm going to read some of it. I know this is a rapid-fire headline round, but I need to take this detour. Quote, it was a hard year for everyone. We felt the same, but rather than slowing down, we focused on what we can do the best. And that was music. We learned from this time that our life continues with the help of music. We thank everyone who has listened to our music and hopes it it can be of even the slightest strength as you continue your lives. I love the way they talk about music all the time and that they get the impact they can have with their songs and they don't take that impact for granted. Anyway, back to the rapid fire news. Yuna from Girls' Generation now officially has an Instagram account. And Espa, before they've even officially debuted, they just joined TikTok. More artists are confirmed to officially have planets, as they're called, for the new app Universe, a K-pop fan app that will be officially out in 2021. So far, the lineup of artists has expanded to include G-Idol, Kang Daniel, The Boys, Monsta X, and Eyes One, probably many more from here. That It sounds like it's going to be another version of like the Listen app or something like that, a place where just maybe we weavers more Weavers-like, but anyway, it's going to be a new app for fan communities to gather that's coming out in 2021, but we've already gotten some teaser videos promoting this new app. Welcome back from the military, Mingho from Shiny and Donwoo from Infinite. Minji from 80s is on a temporary hiatus citing anxiety. 
Sean Yule's Nothing solo video has reached 10 million views. Jesse's New New Nana reached 50 million views. Two new entries into the 100 million views club are Hwasa with Maria and Blackpink with Lovesick Girls. And reaching 400 million views, Blackpink and Selena Gomez's collaboration, Ice Cream. Remember when I was talking about November 30th and how many releases were planned for November 30th and how that felt a bit overwhelming, just way too much good stuff could happen on that one day? I view that as such audacity for all of those artists to release stuff on November 30th. Well, apparently CL listens to this show, I will accept no other conclusion. And so she heard that and was like, you know what, it's a good idea. I will postpone my album release, get you hyped up for Kai's comeback and Hyphen's debut, all of the other stuff coming at the end of November, and then my album will come out a separate day later. So CL's alpha album release has been postponed to early 2021. She did not reveal that the reason is probably because she listens to my show in her Instagram post confirming this situation, but she did say that she's just felt very creative lately and has a lot of new ideas and wants to expand on her album, so she's going to revisit it and update it and really present it to the world when she feels like it's ready, and now she suddenly feels like it's no longer ready for that. So it will come to us bigger and better in 2021. The latest online concerts to take notes on and prepare to watch. B1A4 is having one through Powerhouse Live, and you can go to AXS.com for tickets. B1A4 show will be December 5th at midnight Pacific time, I believe, and it's $35 a ticket. The boys are having an online concert December 4th and 5th to correlate with their band diversity December 6th. Their show will actually have some offline components, but you could also view online and buy the stream from anywhere in the world. The offline components of the show are set to be held at Olympic Hall in Seoul Olympic Park, but of course that's subject to change given any changes in social distancing guidelines in that area. Lastly, if you're a big J-pop fan like me, November 24th there's going to be a huge J-pop lineup filled event. It'll be with Arashi, Perfume, a lot of other stars. I'm mostly excited for Perfume though, so I'm really excited for that. Please check out more info on Spotify. Lastly, before I get to my main topic of today's show, I've discovered a few more Easter eggs in Taman's music video world that I either didn't have a chance to tell you all about on my latest Taman dedicated episode of the show because I just thought of them after I recorded, or I just forgot to bring them up, but I have been thinking these thoughts and theories way before I released the episode. Either way, they didn't make the cut into the previous Taman episode. It's called Taman's Newest Act, if you're looking for that. But, so I won't go into any full fleshed out theories again here, but a few quick more updates on this latest album of his that I noticed, and more little connections between what he's doing in this music video world that connects to other SM Entertainment artists. First of all, He's crouched on this corner ledge while he's in that blue outfit in one of the promo pictures, and I realized that that is the exact type of angle used for NCT's 2018 Black on Black promo. It's not exactly the same ledge, but it's just the angle. The way that the camera is face-to-face with the very tip of the corner where the walls meet, it'll make sense if you've seen both of these images. Anyway. They're both atop this high structure either way with you're looking at the Taman promo pictures or the way NCT 2018 members formed that diagonal look. 
So anyway, the formations seem to be paralleling each other. I also noticed a huge detail that I keep forgetting to bring up, and I'm really mad that I didn't bring it up earlier, that in one of the teaser pictures, Taman is in that dark room, and you see the shadow in a spotlight showing behind him someone dumping a barrel of something, like maybe the gasoline on top of the car, like from the Press Your Number music video, but also that has a connection to EXO's Lotto video that was a big moment in that video, and there are other parallels to Lotto throughout Taman's music video world that I have touched on, but not that one. Lastly, there is a teaser image where Taman is in that glass box. I have talked about that before, and the symbolism there, but I forgot to mention before that in that glass box, there is a security camera pictured in each of the four corners up by the ceiling in that box. They look a lot like the security cameras in EXO videos like Lotto and Monster, just saying. So keep an eye out on those, and also the fact that I think someone's watching him, because remember, the move video and other taming videos are filmed that way, as if like it looks like it's filmed through a round security camera lens or CCTV footage is being looked at. So, so for now, I think that is finally the last update on details I've spotted from Taman's newest album. But I can I can't promise that officially because I just adore Taman's work and keep discovering new things every time I watch his videos. So same with NCT, but we'll get to that later. After the break, though, it's time to talk all about karaoke. Today's small business shout-out has to go to Harper Iman. If you go to Harper Iman, that's H-A-R-P-E-R-I-M-A-N.com, you can check out what they make. It is a company that is run by a mother-daughter duo who hand-make dolls. These handmade dolls are meant for young black girls to be able to see themselves in the toys they play with, and they're really adorable. So if you want to see dolls of black girls with natural hair and super cute outfits, make sure you subscribe for updates. New dolls will be launching in January of 2021, but some older versions are available now, so please go check them out. Really cute toys, and I really want to support this business. And if you can find them on Instagram to see the dolls for yourself, at Harper Iman Dolls, that's H-A-R-P-E-R-I-M-A-N-D-O-L-L-S. If you live in the USA like me, your view of karaoke is probably that was something from the 60s or 70s that no one does anymore, or you view it as an activity in inside just a bar or a crowded restaurant and that's it. Maybe at a party, it's off to the corner, it's a little machine, and you sing with a microphone and looking at the screen that shows the song lyrics so you can sing along, and maybe you get certain points depending on what kind of karaoke machine it is, how high-tech it is, all of that. And that's about it. It's viewed as just kind of something, a side activity you can do while out and about. But in Asia, this karaoke, which is called Noreban, is actually way more exciting. And it has a very interesting backstory in Asia. It is viewed as not so much something that you may engage in occasionally when you're out at a bar or something in the USA, there it is the event. You don't don't go and happen to sing karaoke. You go to sing karaoke. That's one of the many things that differentiates it from how karaoke is sang in the USA. So Noreban in Asia is basically a time when you can go to an actual karaoke box, they're called, and they're box chains. So the like you would call a chain restaurant 
a chain restaurant, you all would call a karaoke box like part of the box chain. A company would buy different rooms in different parts of the city that people would go to to sing karaoke. And they sing there in a very unique way that is both intimate and not because you get to pay for your own private room, so each karaoke machine has its own little room to go in. But some of them are actually quite big. You could fit like up to 10 people in some of them, maybe even more. So you can have like a mini party in that soundproof room. But it is also a party atmosphere. These karaoke rooms are usually decorated. Usually they'll have like flashing lights or a disco ball maybe. Though the disco scene, I think that's a bit outdated. That's not really what younger generations are going to karaoke to see. That's not as much of a prop use, but anyway. Karaoke is used as a hobby, not just for you to let loose, but it's often used with other people. So you're alone together, basically, in small groups often. Sitting karaoke, you can get different point levels and it can be competitive, but also just a way to blow off steam. And you get to watch the actual music video as you sing along, as opposed to just seeing lyrics on the screen. Sometimes, depending on where you go, the karaoke rooms will come with free food and drinks with them. Other times, they will come with other complimentary perks. Coin noriban is a term for when you pay per song. So that's not always the case, but if it's called a coin noriban, that's where you pay. And sometimes it's like a dollar a song, but if you're a university student, it's probably like one dollar for four songs or something like that. So it's a very fun, cheap pastime that groups of people like to do. In Japan especially, it's part of their culture to not go home right after work. They like to go out and socialize. That's a big part of their culture, which I guess it is in the USA too, but even more so there. It's not like a rush hour home. It's a rush hour to sing karaoke or something. There, it's actually very common to engage in noriban with colleagues. It's kind of a way to not butter butter them up before you make a deal, but it doesn't hurt and it helps build up those bonds with coworkers, potential business partners, things like that. So if you're invited to Noriban by a customer and you're in the business world, that's a very good sign, but also pretty normal. So it's not exactly a sign that your deal is a go with them until they start inviting you more than once. Then I would say your deal is good. The word karaoke actually translates to empty orchestra, which really embodies what it's all about. And Noriban, the word itself literally translates to son room. So it's a room where you sing songs. Karaoke was first invented in Japan in the 70s, and then it expanded its influence into China in the late 80s. It was popularized in Hong Kong specifically in the 90s, and in the USA in the 90s as well. Noriban in Korea is as frequent a site as Starbucks locations are in the USA. They're on all sorts of street corners, all sorts of areas where nightlife is really lit up. Those nightlife scenes have a lot of these locations, so they're all over the place. And typically you pay for about an hour for your room, which is usually the equivalent in US dollars of five to $25 an hour. Again, it's a great cheap form of entertainment. And the soundproof rooms are not only great because they're soundproof and they're usually decorated fun and sometimes they come with complimentary snacks and things like that, but they also can let you really rock out because they have things like tambourines in them and other instruments, maybe some maracas, so you can really go all out singing. It also is not uncommon for extra time to be allotted to you and you don't even notice. So they say you're paying for an hour, but you may get like an hour and 20 minutes and not realize it and that ends up being complimentary. 
Mainland China has been incredibly receptive to karaoke ever since it made its debut there. It is such a huge part of the Chinese nightlife. The karaoke apps that they use for it, like WeChat, actually connect to the karaoke machine. So you can use your phone, and then the machine recognizes your phone number for next time, and you are able to basically control the playlist like you would control it if you had the aux cord in a car, and you control what you sing at karaoke with some limitations, but we'll get to that. They can also, they make it into quite a competition sometimes. You can earn different badges and rankings as you play along. If you connect your phone up with the karaoke machine there, you can even send others virtual gifts of sorts that cost real money. It's kind of like Webkins or one of those other toys that you probably played with if you live in the USA as a kid, where you actually spend real money on buying stuff for a virtual pet. But there they use it for virtual gifts for each other. It's a way that more income can be generated from the for the karaoke companies. Anyway... They also have some unique app features like the bullet curtain, which is a term for this feature that lets users of the app leave comments on karaoke videos that really shoot across the screen fast like bullets, which is kind of like Nico Nico, which is a service in Japan where it's very common on Japanese YouTube videos to see images flash across the screen really fast because the comments are all in real time really fast. That running commentary during a video is just a very much more normalized aspect of watching YouTube there. So it's kind of like that feature, but during your karaoke, which I feel like I would be too distracted and thrown off by, but I guess that's part of the fun. What's also part of the fun is that you can get distracted and thrown off by whoever you came with who can, if they are in control, they can, without you realizing it, switch the song or pause it or whatever, and so they can trip you up that way too. So be careful who you trust when you go to karaoke there. Your phone, when connected to those karaoke machines, can also record your performance. So you can send it to people and just have it automatically saved to your phone for next time. So that's a way to basically take it very seriously as a karaoke singer and study your performance for next time. Karaoke's popularity in China has only grown since 2018 especially. In the past few years, China has really invested in shows like The Voice of China and I Love to Memorize Lyrics, and in competition shows essentially. And so actually Neil Wayne, the president of this Frost and Sullivan consultancy in the greater China area, says that mobile karaoke apps are on the rise there thanks to those kind of shows, saying, quote, They've transformed ordinary people into pop stars in this social media era. A few more interesting facts about karaoke in China. Oftentimes, it's a lot cheaper to go during the day. That's actually true in other parts of Asia as well. If So if you ever travel there and want to go, it's cheapest during the day. And then during the night hours, when it's more popular, of course, they up the fees usually. The karaoke rooms there in Beijing especially typically fit 10 guests at a time, and they can cost less than 100 won per hour, often coming with free drinks, and some actually in China will have karaoke theme parties mixed with a cookout of sorts, so it's not abnormal for your cookout to feature a karaoke machine or a room for karaoke somewhere in the setting. What's becoming on the rise there lately 
is this selling of mini KTVs, aka mini karaoke machines. These KTVs are becoming really popular there among younger generations. They're very popular now. They're kind of like you see crane machines and other arcade games hidden away in movie theaters in the USA or in the in malls in different corners, just kind of all over the place, scattered. That's kind of what mini KTVs are now. So as opposed to walking into like a photo booth or a or going to a crane game in a mall in the USA, you would go into your mini soundproof karaoke room there. What's also helped the youth in China really embrace karaoke as a trend are apps like Everybody Sing Along, which is from Tencent, which is we've talked about a bit on the show before. Tencent is a huge company. It owns so much and a huge part of China's music industry. It also has a 40% stake in Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite, and it owns entirely 100% of Riot Games, which makes League of Legends, which is interesting because remember League of Legends is the game that has a partnership with G-Idol, the K-pop group. So if G-Idol wanted to work with Tencent, Tencent would be glad to help them get their catalog playing on the karaoke machines, possibly, or at least through the karaoke app Everybody Sing Along, so possible partnership opportunity there. So Everybody Sing Along is an app that comes from Tencent, which currently has 460 million registered users, which is approximately one-third of China's entire population that has this app. Tencent's vice president said that 70% Of the app's users spend approximately 16 hours a month on this app. 70% of users spend at least 16 hours every month singing through that karaoke app, which doesn't even account for the hours they sing karaoke without the app. And the Tencent vice president said, quote, It is the communal experience that the app excels at and makes a profit from. Karaoke is not just something in the USA now and in Asia where it originated, but even Europe has taken notice of its potential for money and just a fun consumer experience. According to the Irish Times, quote, karaoke clubs are as popular in China as bars are in Dublin. So even in Europe, they are taking notice of how massive the impact can be of these social gathering places. As much as the karaoke scene is clearly thriving and always has been in Asia, in some ways it has met some major obstacles. One of those being copyright rules and a quite blurry line between what counts as violating or not their copyright guidelines because they're always changing. Similar to Silicon Valley startups of sorts, the karaoke business has sort of blossomed very fast, but now after that explosive growth initially, now it's suddenly like, now what? And how does it proceed? So that's basically what happened with the karaoke business because the musical copyright guidelines have changed so much. For example, in Guangzhou, the metropolitan area of Guangzhou saw a profit of around 880 million won in 2015. And then two years later in 2017, that went from 880 million to 680 million won in that industry. In 2016, Guangzhou had 600 karaoke parlors in it, and then just 500 one year later. The number of karaoke operators in just one city in China, in just Nanchain, declined by 40% between 2017 and 2018. 
in late October of 2018, the CAVCA ordered all karaoke businesses to get rid of over 6,000 of the songs in their catalog, citing copyright infringement. A significant number of those songs were from Hong Kong and Taiwan artists, as opposed to mainland China artists, and we've unpacked the politics behind all of that on previous episodes of the show, so I won't go into it now, but that crackdown was naturally involved in, it was intertwined with the political situation in late 2018, which continues to this day. This choice led to a huge decline in interest in customers at these karaoke locations because a lot of there are a lot of singers in Hong Kong and Taiwan who are famous among mainland China residents and their catalogs were suddenly wiped off of the karaoke systems. They may have been erased from the karaoke machines not necessarily because of this government order, but because of the fear of the government order actually being implemented. Because the government order was real, don't get me wrong, but how much they were going to enforce it was never clear, and so the people just were erring on the side of extreme caution by deleting it from the catalog, so who knows if they would have actually been punished for just keeping those songs in the catalog. A few other music industry-related updates in China. In 2018, Tencent Holdings launched their subsidiary Tencent Music Entertainment, which led to Tencent having this 57% revenue surge. And similarly, one year later in 2019, the Alibaba Group launched Alibaba Digital Media and Entertainment, with funding for new projects of over 10 billion won invested in Alibaba. And in 2019, Beijing analysts showed that karaoke is predicted to become a bigger and bigger portion of China's currently $2.73 billion digital music industry in U.S. dollars Currently, it is, the digital music scene in China is worth $2.73 billion, and Beijing analysts predict that karaoke will continue to take up a bigger and bigger chunk of that. But how, given the copyright issues and changes, is still a bit up for debate. But it's worth no- noting that Big Echo, which is actually the first chain of many karaoke room box chains that I was mentioning earlier, Big Echo came to Hong Kong in the early 90s, and that had immediate immense popularity, it became known and clear very early that income from selling your copyright to a karaoke box chain makes you a lot more money than income from album sales. So as a singer, your song can actually get a lot more and long-term profits going your way if you sold it to a karaoke company as opposed to based on album sales, which will become, naturally, a, an increasingly relied on music model if we're talking about a digital music landscape that we're living in today. In addition to competing karaoke parlors based on copyright issues and the arbitrary possibly application of them, karaoke parlors have also struggled individually just because of the competition. Because there are so many now, it's kind of an oversaturation. Sort of like the Starbucks issue. There's Starbucks everywhere because as a company, it's thriving. But as individual businesses, maybe they're feeling the strain a bit more. Let me back up for a minute and clarify. When I said CAVCA, I was referring to the China Audiovisual Copyright Association. Anyway, most karaoke providers have a catalog of about 30 to 50,000 songs, all have to be authorized by China's Audio Video Copyright Association. 
but plans have been kind of in the works for a while for this National Karaoke Content Management Service System, which is just a long way of saying a way to streamline the requirements and expectations of the songs that are allowed in karaoke parlors to get rid of what they view as quote-unquote unhealthy songs from the rotation. But the plans for that, again, are kind of still arbitrary or not just not fully fleshed out. I have a couple of somewhat related predictions for this karaoke industry going forward and how it may overcome these obstacles with copyright issues and general declining income or whatever the case may be. One of them is that I can see a future where K-pop is a larger, larger part of the karaoke culture in China and other Asian countries. And the other thing is that this isn't as much of a prediction as a plea. I would argue that karaoke should really become a bigger thing around the world. Why Why I think the hobby meets the moment. And then this whole conversation came to mind. I'm kind of talking about pre-COVID times. And then afterwards, I'll address how all of these predictions may be a bit affected now by COVID. But anyway, I was thinking about the cultural differences that have caused tension combined with political conflicts between countries and between parts of Asia. And the more I thought about it and thought about, well, maybe this will mean that there's no way K-pop will become a bigger part of the Chinese karaoke culture, the more I also thought it's possible it could. So let me explain. First of all, China's NetEase music company recently formed a deal with Cube Entertainment. They have 300 million users through the NetEase app in China, and their music database already has over 10 million songs, so they've invested a lot in this app. And this app just recently teamed up with the company that makes K-pop music from Pentagon, CLC, many other big names in K-pop. That could lead to potential collaborations, as well as that G-Idol League of Legends crossover that is run by Tencent that I just mentioned. Second of all, K-pop was banned for 18 months in China back in 2016. We've talked about that period on the show before. But I will just say for now, what's still relevant is to keep in mind that still, Korea's biggest trading partners are the USA and China, and China is responsible for 25% of Korean exports. So their trade relationship still cannot be fully severed. And a way to keep it going is through music and karaoke. It would be a lot harder to ban Korean content in Korea today in some ways. Of course, in others, there's a lot to unpack there that I don't have time to get into in this episode. But in some ways, it's harder to ban it because there are a lot more groups in the world of K-pop that are not just Korean artists. There are more Chinese members of K-pop groups, more multiculturalism accepted in K-pop groups. It would be a bit harder to disentangle promoting Korean and Chinese culture in that sense. Third, I think what is key to note about this revenue potential is that between January and March of this year, due to COVID, the South Korean economy shrank 1.4%, probably more since then. South Korea actually had one of the largest initial COVID outbreaks. Of course, they got that under control quite a bit more than a lot of other countries, especially the USA. But at the same time, they have felt definitely the economic brunt of the virus like every country really has. And in April, their exports went down 24.3%. So relying more on digital currency, ways of making money through digital means like SON sales, is a smart economic decision for 
South Korean companies, at least compared to focusing too much effort on actual physical material goods being exported and imported because travel restrictions keep changing and it's just so much unknown and fluctuating about trading in 2020. So that's something to keep in mind. These karaoke apps especially do not just make money off of the songs they buy the rights to, they also unleash a whole new world of more advertising potential. Now I'm talking about karaoke, not just the impacts it could have in South Korea, but everywhere. Because think about it, you're not just being able to make money through your app and through those virtual gifts that users are purchasing, but also through the karaoke company, and a deal could be made with a bunch of different sponsors which have pop-up ads in the app possibly or pop-up ads maybe in the karaoke machine. It can be a huge source of a million different products being advertised to you. It can also be used to make money off of different services beyond karaoke. For example, there is this famous Chinese pop singer, Hu Yanbin, who founded this app that specializes in actually offering singing lessons and music education classes to users. And Yanbin is currently in talks with various karaoke apps, actually, to offer those classes more broadly. The courses currently cost anywhere from 1 to 99 won, but of course that price could be upped if the interest seems like that makes sense. But then again, it would benefit from keeping the price low because that means that more people might be willing to purchase the lessons anyway. So not only is this app helping create a pastime for people to take casually, they could also take it quite seriously and use it as a launching pad for their singing career. And if you use this app that is compatible with the music and services provided by Tencent, a Chinese music company, then maybe you're you're more likely to sign a music deal with Tencent. So it's a double win for them because they got a new customer and a new potential client. So to sum it all up, Karaoke rooms and box chains like Big Echo have really seen the financial benefits of investing in the karaoke industry in Asia. The income from selling your song to karaoke companies can surpass that of album sales. It's a way to continue to have a stable amount of currency flowing in to your business. You're your own small business essentially as a musician these days due to the revenue coming from your music more than like concert merch for example. So it's a way to get somewhat of a steady income for the rest of 2020 at least. It is also a way to engage with fans more and make them fall in love with your music and memorize the lyrics for it, feel more competitive about being a bigger fan by knowing more lyrics and earning more badges related to singing your song and singing their own cover versions of it and things like that. It's also worth noting that Tencent and other big music companies that are popular in China have a big hold over the karaoke industry, which could have all sorts of implications financially, politically, in so many other ways. The ultimate way to sum it up, just that there is so much to unpack, and I know I'm just touching on a lot of these layered issues here for this one episode, but things that I hope, I hope I've encouraged you to read about further, because it's very interesting potential of this industry to really expand more and more. Now let's talk more specifically about how karaoke could make an impact going forward in the USA, why I would argue for the expansion of promoting karaoke, why I think it just meets the cultural moment for the USA. And again, I'm thinking kind of in a pre-COVID mindset, so not right now, but in the near future or, you know, post-vaccine world, we should invest in karaoke. So so let's a little history lesson first. Karaoke first came to the USA in the early 90s, and it was really hyped up by the media. It was viewed as the next big sensation. 
But the over-eager promotions went a bit too far. It led to an oversupply of karaoke machines in bars and other locations across the country. So there was this decision eventually made to just give up making karaoke a thing in a lot of parts of the country. So it was going to be a huge franchise essentially in the USA and that didn't exactly happen. It was too much overhype. But it's noteworthy that it's still popular a few decades later, at least it hasn't been obsolete here, so that is still worth note worth noting. There are some ways that sociologists have actually undergone research studying and observing behavior at karaoke's, and at these karaoke events at bars and other places across the USA, these scholars have written about in a sociological context why we enjoy karaoke. One of the ways they talk about it is they argue that the relationships people form nowadays doing anything are pretty surface level. They're small talk based. They're based on water cooler conversations. They're viewed as unrewarding in a sociological sense, meaning very just substanceless, not very deep, pretty casual and passing because we're just very easily distracted these days. We're always on the go and busy. Again, this is all a pre-COVID uh, talk I'm having here, but we'll get to that. And so karaoke is viewed as a great hobby for some people because it matches this moment in our world where people are just into casual activities they can do together that don't require a ton of intimate conversation. You can get together with someone you don't know super well and instead of having this deep heart-to-heart, -heart, you can just spend hours with them singing songs and not really getting to know them at a deeper level. And some people really like that. And so those connections that are made through more surface-level discussion topics are viewed as just a more normalized part of relationship building these days. But the counter-argument some scholars point out are that these relationships are not necessarily based on the kind of surface level conversations we have, but just based on the cultural moment. So they're a lot more temporary than the other scholars let on, they would argue, saying that those relationships are more in response to periods of uncertainty in our lives, unpredictability, and just in general, the constant, constantly uh, speeding up pace of change in the world. People simply don't have the same amount of time and energy that they used to invest in personal relationships because there's just too much else going on in the world to focus on. But whatever the reason, what has been noted in some of these studies, which I will link to on my site as I always do, are particularly a few from karaoke scenes in Albany, Tampa, and Philadelphia. Scholars have noticed that both Lower and middle class people tend to participate, so it's a way for people of different backgrounds to just kind of get together and ignore all of the things that would other them in other social settings. They're kind of a an equalizing playing field. You can be really good at karaoke regardless of social status outside of the bar or wherever you are. Also, they found, actually, which I found very interesting, is that the middle class singers at these bars tended to be more laid back and sassy, ironic, more letting loose during their karaoke performances than the lower class. They suppose this is because the middle class is less preoccupied with trying to fit in and do what they're told and can therefore embrace their individuality more. They feel more free to do so because they don't live with certain stigmas, but that is just a hypothesis. 
One of these ethnographers concluded overall about karaoke culture in the USA is that it becomes this routine part of people's lives, which is extra important in times of instability, times of not knowing what tomorrow brings. It's very comforting to have a hobby to fall back on that is always the same setting. You can picture it in your mind what that karaoke scene looks like here. It's a way to also just go back to familiar tunes, and music is such a healing force. So go back to your old classic favorite songs that you know all the words to, and it's just a fun status in general to feel like you're a regular at any location. Maybe a sense of pride as, and a status symbol, really. Two more things that he noted that I found very interesting about karaoke culture in the USA. One is that he said it's kind of a localized thing. You can go across the country and see relatively the same setting at a karaoke station. You know what it looks like and kind of what the vibe is probably about. But it's also very personalized based on the location you're in what kind of song they sing, the kind of bravado or timidness they show while performing, the audience reactions and how boisterous the audience is compared to how just like calmly sitting there and clapping they are. All of that, the ultimate atmosphere of the karaoke is very localized. He also noted that Karaoke was viewed as a way to get together with people. It wasn't just to sing. It really was to get to catch up with people. And another thing is that he viewed it as a great mix of what people seek in friendships and just in their personal lives as a hobby that is easy to gain entry to, but is also requiring more skills than you think. Karaoke is not as easy as it looks. It requires some tech know-how about pitch control and things like that. It requires some on-your-feet thinking like ad-libs or improv moments. It also requires a certain level of charisma to be brought out of yourself. So it really is work. It really is something that is harder than it looks. And it's something that really takes up a lot of time and energy to master. Humans always want to feel accepted but also stand out. We want to feel a part of something and distinguish from that thing. And so ultimately what karaoke does is it allows people to feel like they are a part of a group, like a karaoke club, a group of regulars at a restaurant or whatever. Well, at the same time, they might become known as the guy who sings this song really well, or the one who uh, has the best stage presence, or whatever. And they can have a sense of pride of being better than the others in a certain category of karaoke performances. What really makes the most long-lasting hobbies for people, at least according to this train of thought, would be that it is an activity that they could get into easily. It's not an activity, I always wonder with activities like, this is a random example, but like pole jumpers. Like, how do you even start that? Because there's no, like, it's zero to 100. Like, you don't just start with, I don't even know how you would have, like, a, a little pole to get started on. Like, you leap over that pole. The pole vaulting, that's what it's called. Anyway, how do you get into that? And that kind of, those kind of activities, you don't have a ton of people participating in those because the entry barrier is not easy. It's not super low. It's not welcome one, welcome all. If you're an amateur right away, that's totally fine and accepted. You have to just take a giant leap first before you get in the door, really. And so with karaoke, it's just anyone can do it. You can be a kid and have a toy karaoke machine if you want. It can be very easy to enter, but then you also learn the ins and outs and that it actually is more complex of a hobby than you originally thought. So it is a way to have everyone get into the hobby and stay interested. I have two follow-up thoughts from reading this study. One is that I think this moment is 
making karaoke so relevant in the USA because of the westernized, more mainstreamed approach to Korean television overall, which can be for the worse, but in this case, maybe it's a good influence. There is a karaoke-themed competition show that launched on Netflix just a few months ago, actually. And we also have The Masked Singer, the USA edition, which I've gone on quite the tangent about before because the Korean version is much better, but I digress. So while we take cultural influences from elsewhere, why not also be inspired by karaoke in a certain way? I also think that as K-pop becomes more mainstreamed in the USA, which it has year by year, especially this year, think about BTS's Dynamite, for example, making Billboard chart history. So as that normalization of K-pop stars on USA magazine covers, on USA TV shows and award shows, all of that, as their presence gets more and more normal and people get used to it and get used to hearing Korean on the radio maybe someday, then these Korean songs it may be sought out more by karaoke companies globally and help with their popularity, as well as because of the fact that K-pop songs are meant to be performed in groups, really. The point dances, the call and response in certain parts of songs, it's all very interactive with the audience, and so it's perfect for Norabon. It's perfect for a culture of you can be an amateur and you're still celebrated in a way. And that sounds like it's a diss toward K-pop, but it's really not. I love that the fact the fact that K-pop is easy to sing along with sometimes. Sometimes it is easy on the ears, and that's not a bad thing. It is a way to make it easier to sing along, and that's just, it's just fun. And that live music element of shows can be just so thrilling for anyone. So I would argue that investing in karaoke in the USA would be huge because it would dovetail with the increased attention to K-pop in the USA. And K-pop is perfect for karaoke because it is fun to sing along with, it is meant to be sane in community with others, it is another indication that the USA is more open to embracing Korean culture overall. There are a lot of other reasons that tie into the origins of karaoke for why I think it's good a good fit for the USA, based on the quality and content of our relationships with others these days, the ways that we like to have intimate get-togethers while also still meeting new people, the way that people socialize, it's all relevant. The way that we use apps nowadays to share videos, I mean, look at the success of TikTok. The way that we watch reality shows, it just feels like all these cultural examples of singing along with others are merging into this one moment, and this could be the hobby where it all converges into an ultimate symbol of this global appreciation for sing-alongs and for just in general music sharing. I am not a scientist. I'm by no means an infectious disease expert. But I will argue for the rise of karaoke, yes, in 2020 in certain ways. So let me explain. I would suggest holding off on promoting karaoke karaoke box chains in the USA for now because of COVID. People are not going out after work or school or whatever to go gather and sing together. Singing is a huge way to spread COVID, especially if you're in an enclosed space with other people. Those dining bubbles that people have been in in the USA, they can actually increase your risk sometimes of getting COVID because you're just in you're just sitting there without circulating air as much as you would if you were in an open air area you're just 
sitting in the air of other people who may have COVID lingering in the air. Anyway, the actual, it's all about air filtration. So you can say, well, actually, it's really good right now to invest in small little rooms like in karaoke places, easier to wipe down everything. But primarily how this disease is spread is airborne, so that would be a waste of wipes and time and money. So so I would argue maybe don't promote that kind of nightlife activity right now. Not a good uh, incentive for people, especially in the USA. We really need to stay home and do our part to stop spreading it so rapidly around the country. But I will advocate for immediate promotion of karaoke machines, those mini KTVs I was talking about that are so popular among the youth in China throughout the past decade. Those karaoke machines would be perfect right now because everyone should be encouraged to stay at home. It's a fun way to just sing along with music and let loose during a very stressful, uncertain time. It's a way that we can get excited and look forward to the day when we go back out to bars and restaurants and such and feel like we've mastered our karaoke skills in a way. So it's a way to learn a new skill that doesn't feel intimidating to learn. It doesn't even feel like skill learning at all at first. So it's a non-threatening new thing to learn while in your quarantine. It's a way to financially support artists from other countries and continue to support their work and spread the word about it and more normalize this cross-cultural globalization of so much incredible music that deserves a lot of shine. You could have digital singing lessons and other ways through your app where you could feel very connected to the outside world and still having hobbies and things like that. Apps like TikTok that are so popular in the USA now would be a really great fit if you like TikTok dances. You might love a singing challenge in your karaoke app. Payments for the game can be scanned with a QR code. You wouldn't even need to connect your phone to it. You wouldn't even need to touch it. And it's also a way for companies in the USA in 2022 keep making money. It's a great source of ad revenue to get involved in sponsoring a karaoke thing. Also keep in mind that I'm not sure if it's actually true for the USA as well, but if it's true in Asia, maybe it would be true here that artists could get higher royalties back directly to them, higher net profits in their pocket if they invest in and get money from karaoke sales as opposed to their song sales elsewhere, which is something to keep in mind. Maybe that can affect ownership of singers' music in the USA for the better. And if you listen to my How to Stand interview with Zoe Fraud Blinar, who wrote the book called Super Fandom about, quote, how our obsessions are changing what we buy and who we are, she talked about what makes you go from a general consumer of something to a fan of it is when you take it next level, when you do something with it that's beyond what is expected. So in terms of a band, you're going from just a listener of the band to a true fan if you talk about them online a lot or if you start wearing their merch or if you start singing and trying to master karaoke of their songs. So it's a way that you go from just a general consumer to viewed as an actual fan. And those are the type of people that advertisers really want to find and target. And when they find and see more fans and not just view you as another consumer then that will affect how they view K-pop fans. And they may see it as even more normal and really pick up on, wow, this K-pop is very normalized now. So that's a great way for them to realize the potential of, again, a more globalized music future. Just a lot of potential here that is worth tapping into for the sake of companies and just the public in terms of just a fun activity, in terms of finances, in terms of cultural implications, a lot of reasons why I would advocate for more karaoke in the USA.
In addition, I do think J-pop could have more success in the USA through this type of format, maybe introducing more J-pop songs to USA karaoke machine catalogs because it goes along perfectly with that concept. In an early episode of How to Stand, I talked about AKB48 and other Japanese groups, those groups who are designed based on the concept of we're supposed to be amateurs. That's their actual concept. Their artists were made for the group to be like your friend. So you're kind of cast not because of singing or dancing skill yet, but of your potential and of your personality. And if that seems likable and like you're a good old friend, then you become part of the group. And the way that they try to keep fans interested is by you're invested in their journey. It's sort of like when rookie singers on American Idol, you get very invested in and rooting for. It's sort of that mentality where they want you to feel like a person can relate to you, they're not perfect at all, and you're going to be there to watch them improve their singing and dancing over time. So with that ethos in mind, that's kind of the ethos with karaoke. You're not meant to be perfect when you start. You're viewed as an amateur. It's just goofy. It's not for everyone who's viewed as the best singer. It's just for fun. And so... That mindset just lines up perfectly with the mindset of promoting J-pop groups. If you realize what that is all about while you sing karaoke, then you can better understand and normalize in your mind the concept of these J-pop groups, and then maybe you'll be more open to listening to and enjoying their music. Just a thought about a potential subconscious psychological connection that is possible there. One last note to leave you with is that although I do continue to advocate for karaoke here in the USA, I will also argue that the soundproof room aspect does make it more appealing outside of your house, especially because if you want to invest in karaoke right now, go for it, but be mindful of your neighbors, please. There is a very interesting story from the Philippines in the past few years. A call has gone out for residents to report to authorities any karaoke singers who are being too loud. An actual Facebook statement just came out a little while ago by an official in the Philippines. The governor of this specific province was talking about how there have been issues in past years. They're literally called the My Way Killings because several people throughout the past few years in the Philippines have actually been killed after singing my way during karaoke. And not to say that's a super normal thing to expect, it usually doesn't get to the point where someone is killed, but that was just noted as a reason why you have to be careful about volume and respect for your neighbors when you're singing karaoke there and everywhere. Particularly this is coming to light now because this governor stressed the importance of sleep for a good immune system. And to keep your immune system healthy during a pandemic is obviously ideal. The governor is encouraging them to report anyone who's being too loud singing karaoke late at night especially, so they can all get good sleep. Interesting this how this Facebook statement started off with lyrics from My Way by Frank Sinatra, and the statement also included some lyrics from Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles, so I just found that an interesting aside. We will see what happens so far. Nothing nothing bad has happened in terms of death or anything in the Philippines because of karaoke singing, but just keep in mind that people are very ticked off these days, so be mindful of your volume. And do keep in mind for your own benefit, too. Please perform karaoke at reasonable hours during the day, sleep, as hard as that is to have in 2020 is still worth trying to have because it does help your immune system. So 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope this condensed cultural and historical context about karaoke was interesting, and I encourage you to read more about it if you found this interesting, because I certainly found it fascinating to read more about. Next week is going to be really big because of BTS's new album we have to talk about and NCT's Resonance Part 2, as well as a bunch of other news updates. So I'm thinking that unless there's some big breaking news in the world of K-pop later this week, I will have three new episodes next week instead of two this week and two next week. So same amounts of episodes by the end of next week, but just three next week. So don't expect to hear from me until Sunday unless there's breaking news Sunday, a new episode of How to Stand will be out. I will have a very special interview. That's all I will tease for now. You will hear from me again probably Monday then. Stay tuned. Thank you all for listening and talk to you soon.